Turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans chapter 8. And I don't know why Kelly takes the opportunity to start busting on me like I'm not going to have a microphone in five minutes. <laughs> it was a cartoon of a uh, guy sitting out in the yard and there was white smoke and black smoke. And it was talking about we knew it couldn't be the wife cooking because it wasn't black smoke or something like that. She knows good and well that wasn't applied to her. Smoke would imply that she cooked at all. Uh, but uh, you are so pretty, though. See, some men, some men got great meals waiting on them at home. Through, but the lady has a full beard, you know. But now, my. You're beautiful. Burger King and you is fine with me. I'm good. All right. <coughs> Y'all stand with me this morning as I dig myself out of a hole. Thank you. Before I read the text, I want to tell you that the Lord orchestrated that I could be here at home this week. There was just a schedule conflict in Zebulun, which is no problem at all. I'm so proud of Billy and Tina and Christ Chapel Zebulun. 20 years of faithful ministry. Would y'all give them a hand this morning? But I believe the Lord gave me an opportunity to complete last week's message. And I want to give you the other side of the coin that brings repentance into full light. Repentance is not repentance for repentance sake. It's to bring us close unto God, nigh unto God. It's to bring us into peace. It's to bring us into joy. And I believe he's given me the opportunity to speak to you this morning about this subject. Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. None. Any. That sin that you repented of, that God expected of you, that God required of you, that God heard, and that God received, has eradicated your sin account. Repentance leads us to grace. And there is no condemnation, no judgment, no separation from God to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now the result of this life of repentance, is they walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, that because it was weak through your flesh, God sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who? Those of us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded is death. Carnal there means natural, earthly, temporal. Uh, just being a consumer here. To be minded like that is death. But to be spiritually minded with an eternal worldview for God's glory, a surrendered life, is life and peace. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Because the carnal mind, your natural mind, is enemy of God. For it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. 
So those that live in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. But if Christ be in you, your body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead shall dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. For if you live after the flesh, which means if you are motivated by the flesh, you live carnally minded, separated from Christ, you will die. But if you through the Spirit, you who were born again, do what? Put to death the deeds of your body. Those besetting sins. You repent of them. You put them to death. You turn away from them. You will live. Now, it doesn't grant you eternal life. It's the evidence of eternal life. And you enter into spiritual life here. For as many that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby you cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Suffer. In this context, it's talking about the denial of self. If we live a life of conviction, repentance, and holiness, the Bible says, if we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. For I reckon that this life of self-denial, this consecrated walk, this narrow pathway, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. No condemnation. No memory of my sins. No trace of my sins. No aroma. No browser history of my sins. No steps. No remembrance. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. Once you taste that, it changes all the rules. When I see him hanging on that cross naked and beaten and bloodied and disfigured, I realized that he didn't just wink and cover my sins. He paid for them. Would you pray for me as I pray for myself this morning? Father, I just humble myself before you, amazed at the grace that finds people like me and imparts to them the righteousness of, of you, yourself. It staggers my mind. I pray that you would give me the ability to speak with a clarity and an unction and an anointing that makes these truths come to life for us. Help us to see it in a clear way that we might enter into that rest, Christ being our Sabbath, where we cease from works and we're no longer bound by shame or guilt. Christ paid it all. In the name of your Son, I ask it. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated this morning. Over the years, I've talked to a lot of people about a lot of different issues. And one of the common themes are, are 
those of us that have a hard time forgiving ourselves. We say we believe the scripture. We believe that God saved us from all of our sins, but we believe that there are some sins we've committed that he still holds against us in a secret file. We would see the work of demons that would tell you that you're not forgiven. You're not forgiven. You're not forgiven. God still remembers. That's why you're suffering here. That's why this is going on. You're not forgiven. And, and we, from a distance as we talk about it, you could see that that could be the work of demons. Doctrines of demons telling you that you're not forgiven. When God tells you that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there's a deeper demonic work there that I did not see until recently. I can see the devil working in our lives telling us that we are not forgiven. But there's a deeper demonic motive, um, method. More so than me not being forgiven, it brings into question the character of God that God lied about my salvation. Same way it started in the garden. Hath God really said that you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? You're not going to die. I know God said you're going to die, but you're not going to die. That bringing into question the character and nature of, of God is one of the highest forms of demonic activity. If God said that he remembers your sins no more, then he remembers your sins no more. It's not a matter, an issue of how I feel or what I think or what I, what's in my dreams or what my mind thinks or what my friends say or what my preacher says. Jesus, hanging naked on the cross, cried out, It is finished. What? My salvation. My sins that I've committed were paid for. The sins I'm committing currently are paid for. And the ones I will commit in the future are paid for. All I have to do is repent and confess. We have no condemnation, number one, because our debt has been paid and God is satisfied. God is satisfied. The Jews in their temple into the Holy of Holies was this huge, thick curtain that separated man from the presence of God. And when Christ gave his life for us, that curtain was rent from the top to the bottom, way past the reach of men and ladders. God himself ripped it. And we have access to come through the veil, that is to say his flesh, that was ripped from top to bottom. And now having a high priest over the house of God, we can draw near with a full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies and minds washed with the water of his word. Let me give you a visual of what, you know, you know your pastor is a very simple guy. You break it down to flashcards, I can get it. If you break it down, you know, cat, dog, I can get it. This is what I often picture to this day. In heaven, I come before the Lord post-salvation. 
sometimes embarrassed, disappointed in myself, not feeling close. Other times I feel close. See, you can't go by your feelings because they're so fickle. They're so contingent upon the wind and which way it's going and biorhythms and your age and how much sleep you got and what you ate for supper. You can't, you can't trust your feelings. But I see myself coming into, if you will, and I say this reverently, let's say you were able to walk into the throne room. The very place where God resides. And you come in, because we're saved, we have access, but we don't know it fully. So we hide our head. Now there is a part to his glory that we bow our head, but there's a difference between bowing your head and hiding your head. You need to write that down. It's a world of difference. And we come in. He said, who are you? Um, Father, I, I'm John. Uh, uh, imagine Jesus walking up and saying, Father, this is John. I died for him. <laughs> what do you need? Do you see that? Do you see the power in that? The glory in that? It's as if a sheet of his blood has been dropped between God and I. And he sees through that sheet and he doesn't see John. He sees Christ. I know that I'm wicked. But he doesn't deal with me according to my sins. Christ paid for my sins. And the blood on my doorpost wasn't my blood. It was the blood of the Lamb of God. And when God saw the blood on my doorpost, he said, I will not judge that one. Free from condemnation. Free from guilt. Not because of merit, but because of atonement. Because of God's grace and the suffering of the Christ. Listen to this in Hebrews 1. Jesus, who being the brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What part did you play in your first birth? When your dad winked at your mom. And she said, really? You know, what part did you play? None. What part did you play in your second birth? None. Salvation doesn't come by the will of man, but by the will of God. What part did you play in grace? None. When he went into the earth and by himself not only paid for my sins, but purged me from my sins. He didn't come to the world to destroy the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God is satisfied. When he saw the burnt offering. See, God was in Christ as the offerer, the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth, the offerer, the offering, and in the Father accepting the offering. Your grace, your salvation is so complete, and you live on one corner of the shingle of it saying that I'm saved. Saved from what? From any part of my sin 
And now there's no judgment. There's a freedom that we should be walking in. Not an arrogance. Not an overconfidence. And it's not that we have... For, it's, it's not like forget who you are. No, remember who you are, but see who he is. Oh, he paid for mine. He paid in full. And you don't have to go back to the table and see if he left enough tip. He paid for my sins with the blood of Jesus Christ. And I am eternally, forever forgiven. I remember my past. And you remember my past. And I see my present. But all he sees is Jesus when he sees me. For those of you that are born again and have his spirit who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. We have condemn no condemnation because we've been born from above. I love this verse in 1 John 1, 12. But as many as received them, received him, to them gave he the power, the right, the privilege, the opportunity, the impetus to become sons of God. I haven't seen my daddy in 50 years. My daddy died when I was 11. I'm 61. And I'm not trying to be crass. I, I want you to see this. Can you imagine trying to explain the unsearchable riches of God just from your own limited mind and mindset? Sometimes as a preacher, I feel like, I don't, I don't know how else to tell it, Lord. Help me to say it clearly. But if you dug him up today, whatever bones were left, or I don't know what all would be left. If you were to saw one of those, let's say a femur bone in half, and you scooped out with a utensil and you put it under a microscope and you took something out of me or my blood or a, a essence of who I was and you put them under a microscope, you could say with 100% certainty that John Wood is Roger Wood's son, relative. You can prove it. Now watch. God says to you, you are bone of my bone flesh of my flesh in the same way your mama and daddy created the physical you I created the spiritual you <sighs> beloved now are we the sons of God <laughs> oh, I'm flawed I'm messed up but my savior is so complete and he's not done with me yet this is the earnest of the Spirit. Wait till He glorifies me and removes the capacity for sin. Bone of His bone. If I were to be able to dissect your spirit, they'd say, you're not from this world. Regardless of what the History Channel tells you, it's not ancient aliens. It's ancient of days. Him. I am bone of His bone. And the foundation of the Lord standeth sure that the Lord knows who are His. I'm born from above. We are, but you are not of the flesh, verse 9, but in the Spirit. If so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if you have not the Spirit of Christ, you are none of God's. Don't listen to what they tell you on these dead apostate churches and preachers that were all in God's family. We're all God's children. No, we're all God's creation. We're not all God's children unless you have been born again. 
born of the Spirit. Number three, we have no condemnation because we're free. Whom the Son has made free, John 8 says what? Whom the Son has made free. He took the pieces and variables of your unfaithfulness, your infidelity, your carnality, your sinfulness, our perversion. He took those dynamics and after he purged me from my sins, it wasn't just to pardon. It was, he didn't just bring me out. He wanted to bring me in. You see, if all he wanted to do was forgive me of my sins, he would have forgiven me and killed me. Think about it. It was just to save you. No. It was to pardon me, to bring me into the freedom of God. To go back into a garden of Eden that's been closed off. To where now God is not hiding from me in the cool of the day, but he's waiting on me. When I wake up and open my eyes, he says, good morning, John. Good morning, Lord. How you feel today? I feel free. How's your body feeling? Man, my body is jacked up, Lord. I don't know what this sin did to people. Some of these people, I'm 84, and I'm like, and you out here cartwheeling and walking dogs, and I'll be in the room downstairs, and I'll move a certain way, and the cracks are getting louder, and the creaks and the pops. My neck popped two nights ago. Kelly goes, was that you? Yeah, it's a new gift I have. <laughs> our outward man is perishing. But our inward man ought to be being renewed every day. What does that renewal look like? Revelation. Where I see that I, there's nothing I can add to my salvation. So if the devil can't keep us from being saved, he'll keep us from living in the glory of that salvation. Christians that are always their heads hung down. Christians that have no hope. Christians that worry. Christians that fear. Christians who see themselves more clearly than they see the Savior who died for them. What a sad, uh, deluded, polluted salvation. Years ago, someone close to me who's a believer, took their life. And I know a lot of believers have their dogma that was passed on to them about salvation being lost or how it's lost and how it's gained and you can't go into eternity that way. And I sought the Lord specifically. I said, Lord, would you give me a word for this family, for this house? And if I know his voice, I heard his voice very clearly. He said, tell him that his salvation was not merited based on how he died, but upon how Christ died. I said, will we give an account for those things? Ending our life early, not taking care of our life. We're going to give an account for all of that. But grace... My, my expression, my one expression of sin can't undo grace. 
So what the devil does, since he can't keep you out of the grace that Christ has paid for, for you who are saved, he'll keep you from living in the glory of it. There ought to be a, a freedom to your life. Free from sin. Listen to this in verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Saved. Tell me filled with the spirit and still living in sin. Practicing sin. And then say I can't help it. This was not some flu shot you got or some booster. We're hoping it's going to work. Just follow them and see if this works. See if this takes. You weren't given just a little medicine. You were given the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And now the law of sin and death that used to rule over you before Jesus now has no power. Every sin that we practice on this side of the cross was through lust, not through bondage. Because God set you free through the law of Christ, the spirit of life in Christ. Free from sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you. I can't help it. You've been lied to. You know what your I can't help it means? And some people are sincere in their ignorance. Seriously, I can't help it. What they mean is, I can't help, I can't stop sinning without dying. That's what you mean. Because your body and your flesh will scream and it feels like you're being ripped in half because you are. Try fasting for two weeks. Now, not these new NIV fasts. And ESV, CBS, ESPN fast. Not those kind. Daniel fast and every third day fast. Fast means no food. That's what fast means. No food. So if your fast lets you eat potatoes on Monday and steak on Tuesday, that's not fasting. That's just options. Don't eat for two weeks. You will smell food on people. They'll walk by, you go, Chinese. Barbecue, you're smelling them. Your body will start, when you deny your flesh, the war for control comes on you. And we confuse that war with we can't, we can't. You can walk out of anything. I appreciate the therapeutic groups that we have. I appreciate recovery systems, I appreciate, you know, counselors and sponsors and all of that. But I would be unjust if I did not tell you that if you are born again from above and have God's spirit, you need nothing else to walk out of any sin that controls you. Nothing else. If you're saved, you have the power, you have the grace. Free from sin, free from guilt. I had an opportunity couple years ago to meet up with old fraternity brothers they were coming for one reason I was coming for the other you know guys like to relive their glory days you know and we wanted to meet at the rookery downtown and so I went to meet with them and I prayed and prayed and I said Lord just use me and you know I hugged everybody and they all looked just like older versions of who we were back then you know and go to think it was 86 and now 96, 2006. Oh, it don't even matter after you get to the third, 30, 35, 40 years. And one of them said, hey, I heard you. You still got Jesus, John? You still got Jesus? I said, well, he's still got me. Yeah, I, I still have. I heard you was pastoring, man. I said, I am. 
And I'm not saying this to be funny or to act like this was not horrible. I'm not making light of it. He said, oh, you forgot all you, what you, you forgot everything? I said, no. He goes, don't tell me you, you ain't told the church people about you emceeing that hot legs contest at the lodge. And he said, you remember that, John? You know what I told him? Standing there in the rookery, I said, no, I, I remember it. But my Lord doesn't. Told him right to his face. And I wasn't mocking him. This freedom doesn't leave me based on who I'm around. You remember, but you ain't God. And I remember, now watch, but you're not, I'm not God either. Why do you take God off the throne so that you can sit on it and pass sentence on yourself? That's the highest form of idolatry, isn't it? You'd make fun of someone in a third world country bowing down to a stick and worshiping an idol. But when you take God off the throne and tell him the price his son paid for you was insufficient, you must suffer more. I fear for you. You have an unholy view of salvation. It's been distorted by the doctrine of demons and you borderline on blaspheming God. If he said, forgiven, then I must side with him on this side of the cross. Just like I sided with him when he said, John, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are right. You are judged and there's no hope for you. You are without God in this present world. I side with you. But I'll save you if you'll repent, if you call upon the name of Jesus. And I did. I sided with him. I didn't try to make myself better. I took mercy and grace. Now I must side with him on this side. And when he says forgiven, he means forgiven. Then why are you still paying for your sins in your mind? Unbelief. We are free from sin. We are free from guilt. And we are free from shame. Now, let me tell you about shame. In its proper place, there should be a regret for sin. But not the guilt of it. There should be enough remembrance to where it motivates you not to ever live that way again. But when I see my Savior stretched wide and hung high and paying for my sins, how dare I act as if they weren't paid for in full? We lift our heads. Now, I'm not talking about an arrogance. I'm talking about enlightenment. Two totally different things. You just come into God's presence. Hey, Papa. And no, sir, you better back up and come again. That ignorance, that arrogance I'm not talking about. But enlightenment, what if we came into God's presence knowing how fully Jesus saved us and how fully he forgave us and how near and precious he is to No guilt, no shame, no bondage, no fear of judgment. The world went black so that I might walk in the light. He was rejected that I might be accepted. 
He was naked that I might be clothed. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And by his stripes he healed my soul. We, we need to move that 16 inches or 18 inches from our head to our heart and decide I'm not, li- not going to claim a salvation that I don't live in, that I don't enjoy, that I don't practice, that I don't model. I am not what I've done. I am what he has done. Now, having said that, I will give an account for the deeds done in my body. I will only earn the rewards I've worked for. God is not unjust. He's not going to give participation trophies. Everybody gets a trophy. No. There will be some in the kingdom called great and some in the kingdom called least in the kingdom. But I'm talking about the salvation part. And when I walk in salvation, it makes me become eternally minded so that I spend my life working towards him. Number four. Four, finally, we have no condemnation because we are in him. Second Corinthians 5 says we have, been, we have been given the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, this will short circuit you, especially those of us from a legalistic background. Christ's redemptive work was so thorough. Listen, that in him... In him, I am as righteous as God. I can't say that. You missed what I said then. In him. If you've hidden me in him, I am as righteous as God. That doesn't produce arrogance. That makes me want to hide my face in humility and say, what a grace that's so deep and so profound. We are in him having his spirit. We are in him having his mind. We are in him having his strength. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will quicken your mortal body. We are in him having his promises. And we are in him having his betrothal. Having already paid for us, he's gone away to prepare a place for us. So that when we come again, he may receive us unto himself. That where he is, we might be. His salvation is so complete. I would hate for him to think that I did not enjoy the engagement, period. I ought to be free. I ought to be joyful. I ought to be at peace. Peace with God and having the peace of God. Remembering my sins no more. Except to turn it into gratitude. Forgiven. A couple years ago, preacher Alistair Begg uh, shared a, uh, a message, and there's a clip from it. Most of you have seen it, but I want to play it right here. This has the sentiment of, of what I'm preaching this morning. Charles, if you'd cue that for me. Without the preaching of the cross, without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. Joseph, if you come too. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, 
if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. If think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and yet, and yet you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said, you know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, uh, turn it up just a little bit. <laughs> Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor ranger. So we just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, "I've never heard of it in my life." And and what about? Uh, let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring, and eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said, "The man on the middle cross said, I can come.' <laughs> now." Now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me. And as soon as you go there, it will lead you either to abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance. And it is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know, I can figure this out and I'm doing wonderfully well. No, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God the justice satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's why Luther says most of your Christian life is outside of you in this sense. That we know that we're not saved by good works. We're not saved as a result of our professions. But we're saved as a result of what Christ has achieved. In Leviticus 16, the example is given of the two goats. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that passage, but there were two goats to be slain. One bullock and two goats. Aaron, the priest, would kill a bullock for his own sins so he could go into the Holy of Holies and minister 
for the people. But there were two goats. One was to satisfy God. This is the two-sided coin of repentance, uh, of grace that's so beautiful. One goat was killed before the Lord, like Christ was killed. If you, if you look at Christ on the cross, it almost looks like that picture of the serpent with the pole stuck through it. Christ was the penalty. He paid the penalty for ourselves. He became sin for us. He became sin, and that goat died. That's for, that's for, Christ, for God. That's the pardon of our sins. But the other goat, Aaron would take his hands and put it upon this head of this goat. And then they would, he would impart the sins. So that paid for the sins. But there's another part of my life where I remember him. Let me tell you how gracious God is. He didn't just, he didn't just pay for my sins. He removes them from me. And they drive that goat into the wilderness and they would beat it and it would run and take all the sins away. It's not just the payment made, but no condemnation. It was as if you'd say, condemnation over what? Well, your sins. Do you live in that? Do you enter? That's what repentance leads to. One final thing. When Christ was on the cross and it came time for them to make sure that they were all dead, they would break the guy's knees on, on the cross so they couldn't hold themselves up to make sure they die before sundown. And they went to Jesus and he was, he was already dead so they didn't break his knees. And they thrust that little half sword into his side. And the Bible says the blood came out and then the water. Blood and then the water. God didn't say that this is a doctrine, but are you aware that everything's important in the Bible and the order of things are important? Isn't it funny that that's how it flows from him? First the blood that pays for my sin in the water that washes me clean from it. You see, if you're not a Christian today and your sins have separated you from God, you know you're a sinner. No, ain't no preacher got to scream at you. You know. You know deep in your heart that you have failed. If you are still trying to get saved, you will never be saved. There's nothing you can do you're dead in your trespasses and sin and dead people can't help themselves. But your soul, still being alive, can cry out to God for mercy. And He can raise you to new life. Not of works, lest you would ever boast, but He can give you the gift of salvation. You can pray that here. You can pray that in your car. I had someone not too long ago told me, they, excuse me, They said, Preacher, I just wanted to tell you that I didn't come down when you prayed during altar service. But I didn't even get out of the parking lot until I gave my life to Christ. And he saved me from my sins sitting right out here. For the grace of God has appeared to you and it's, it's for you. For whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.
Now, believer, I want you to stand with me this morning. With the return of the Lord so near and the signs of the time so prevalent, don't answer the trumpet of God in fear or in a dilution. Be free and ready to go. Let your salvation be seen, not only in the court of heaven, but on your countenance. Know who you are and whose you are. Be free in Him. Free to lay your head down without guilt. Free to get up with purpose. Free in Him. Some of you, the devil has tricked you since the days of your first prayer to God. And you, it was registered in heaven, but it never registered in your heart. So I was, my assignment today was to tell you, why are you condemned over something that there is no condemnation for? Christ paid for it for you. Would you just bow your head with me just a moment? No one looking around. I think this is one of those messages where we're going to need to work it out at home just a little bit too. Say, Pastor John, I just want you to know that I saw something today I've never seen before. And I've got to get out of this diluted salvation that I'm walking in. When Christ says free, it means free. And may I never be one of the idolaters that passes sentence on someone that God has forgave including myself no one looking around I'm not looking around just raise your hand and say God I'm going to spend that time with you today just slip your hand up and hold it glory I'm going to ask them to cue one song for us Uh, it's a little change of, of tempo but I just want it to be maybe a sending forth song is that okay today? Ascending forth in hope. How many are grateful for this great salvation that's ours? Charles, would you cue that for me? There are days when I'm reminded of the prison I was in. Like a living nightmare burning from within. I can feel the voice of evil. I can hear the call of sin. But I won't go back again See, once I tasted freedom Then the walls could find no more Since mercy gave me wings to fly Like an eagle, I can soar
If I were you, I'd follow him. Have a wonderful week. God bless you.